All right, we are in a new sermon series today. We are going through the uh, book of Psalms, and it's only proper that we start with the first one. Um, So let's read Psalm 1 together. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in the ESV version um, for the sermon series because they keep a lot of the metaphors of the Psalms, and so uh, I think that that is a really good translational um, thing that they did, so that's what we're going to read. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, you've given us your word, and you've given us the psalms so that we may know you and worship you together. Um, Would you speak um, through this sermon and into our hearts by your Holy Spirit, um, and give us wisdom for the rest of our life. Um, to you, love you and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you were going to climb a mountain, mountain, if you were going to climb a mountain, you would definitely not go climbing naked. This would be a very silly and foolish thing to do. N- nobody does this unless they are insane. Um, no, that's not what you do. You would prepare. You would wear the proper clothes. You would go to REI and get the right shoes. You would, or Buyer's Market. They have climbing gear right now. That is so true. That is so true. Uh, I think that's all sold out at this point, but uh, shameless plug. Um, you would get a guide. You would have food and water, and you would train your body and your mind over that time in order to prepare to climb this mountain. Now, you might be saying, why are we starting with this metaphor? And and why is the sermon series called this? Well, there's a couple reasons. One, if you've ever attempted to read through the Psalms, it feels like a mountain. It's just 150 verses right in the middle of your Bible, and you're kind of like, what do I do with this? There's a lot of them. Um, And so one of the goals of this sermon series is that you will know how to tackle this mountain with the right tools. Um, And the second reason, and this is more important, is that God's mountain, Mount Zion, where Jerusalem sits, is very important for the book of Psalms. And actually, As you read through the book, uh, it is almost as if you are getting up to this place where you can worship God in his holy city, in his holy temple, at his feet. And that is the direction of the Psalms um, on his holy mountain in interacting with the Lord in relationship with him. Um, The temple was on the top of this mountain, and that's where God, his presence specially dwelt. Um, And sometimes the Psalms feel like a winding road to get there. There's a lot of different emotions you experience, challenges you have to overcome, rocks you have to climb, but the end is worth it because you get to worship God with his people. That's the goal. And uh, this leads us into this scale thing. Why is it called scale? That's maybe an elaborate word, but it's actually an acronym, which uh, is very Hebrew of us to do. There's a lot of acrostic poems in Hebrew. And um, we're, this is going to be our toolkit for climbing the mountain of the Psalms. Scale. 
It stands for story, Christ, affections, loves, and exaltation. I'm going to go through these one by one, but we have these because it seems like in our modern day and age, our tendency to go to the Psalms is to get a verse to put in our social media, or uh, we seek an emotional reaction to confirm some feeling we have. This, this is ve- a very modern thing to do. Um, the problem is that's not what the Bible was made for, any of the Bible. And so if we treat the Bible like an emotional reaction and go to any psalm, we're, we're just going to ignore the ones that are hard and uh, the emotional reaction is going to fade because we're treating it like a social media feed and that fades, right? Those little dopamine hits is not what the Bible is made for. It's made for deep delight, which our psalm points us to. So let's go through our acronym one more time. S stands for story. The Bible is a grand story of redemption. Every book has something to offer, including the Psalms. And every book is made up of words and verses and sentences and clauses that make up entire books. Um, It's not just individual verses. And so the Psalms are part of that story. And in fact, there is a sense that they tell the whole story of the Bible in one book. Um, There's a grand story of redemption that God is doing now and has been doing since before creation, and we get to participate in that. So that's what we're entering into in the Psalms. C stands for Christ. Uh, can we put that next scripture up there? Let's see. Yes. So this, this is Jesus on the road to Emmaus after he is resurrected. Um, and uh, he's talking to some guys on the road to Emmaus, and he says to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory, beginning with Moses and all the prophets? He interpreted to them all the scriptures according, uh, concerning himself. Every scripture is about Christ. I'm going to say that again. Every scripture is about Christ. You may have heard there are some messianic psalms, ones that specifically point to Christ. This is true. There are some that have direct correspondences to his life, death, and resurrection, but Every psalm is a messianic psalm, every single one. For example, Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. Who's the shepherd? Jesus. Jesus is that shepherd. And so if we read any psalm apart from Christ, we're doing it wrong. And while I remember, I'm going to set a timer so I don't go so long. Uh, I I just remembered right now, and I meant to do this earlier, so I'm going to do it. So story, Christ. Okay, so the next one is affections, affections. This is a complex word. We don't, it's not really in our vocabulary anymore. Um, but uh, it's, it, you may think emotions when you hear this word, but it's more than that. It's what goes on in our minds, in our hearts. It's our desires. It's our inner sense and our thoughts, but it's also our will, what we decide to do. That's affections. Um, we don't pick psalms to match our emotional state. Sometimes... Uh, in, in a lot of church traditions, including our own, we'll have a liturgy where we walk through, if you think back to our liturgy series, walk through certain verses of the Bible and in, in a schedule. Why do we do that? Because the Bible trains our emotions and it trains our affections so that even when we're sad, even when we're uh, distressed, or when we're really happy, we know what we're supposed to do in those situations. So we want to train our affections, our wills, our inner desires, and our emotions to respond to God's word rightly. That's affections. And so we'll ask ourselves, what affections is this psalm stirring up in my heart? What is it trying to do in my heart? And, and then we respond like that. L 
stands for love. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And we do that, as we see in Psalm 1, by loving the law. So love, three things, God, neighbor, law. It's harder than it looks, but every psalm teaches us to do these things. And the last one is exaltation. This is just a word that means worship. There are three ways we do this, through prayer, because all the psalms are prayer songs. Petition, which just means asking God for things, and we'll see that the psalms do this as well. And praise, worshiping God for who he is. And I think that's the hardest one, because uh, generally our tendency as people is to want to get things out of people, and so we, we praise them to get something out of them, and I think we go to God with that mentality too. But the psalms praise God for who he is, and ask him for things because he is gracious, out of his character. Um, which is different than the way we do things. So I'm going to review these one more time slowly. Story, Christ, affections, loves, and exaltation. You guys are going to get sick of hearing this by the end of the sermon series, but this is our toolkit for going to the Psalms, and it it is so we can tackle this mountain together. Um, And so it doesn't feel so daunting, and so we don't go to the Psalms looking for a dopamine hit, but rather we go to them seeking to honor the Lord through His Word. Today, in Psalm 1, we will see uh, these things play out. I'm probably not going to bring up every single one, but you will see all five of these um, S-C-A-L-E pieces in there. And we'll see in Psalm 1 has three comparisons, but there's also a conundrum I want you guys to be paying attention to. We're going to hit on three comparisons in one conundrum. So, what's, what are the three comparisons? They're all about God comparing the righteous and the wicked. God blesses the righteous, but he does not even know the wicked. And it's pretty awesome that at the very beginning of the Psalms, it kicks us off with a blessing. That's awesome. I, I think some people have this idea that the Old Testament is all about God judging people, but he blesses us right at the beginning. Um, and yet, the blessing is not for everyone, but it's for a certain kind of person. What is this person like? Uh, this these first two verses are about what shapes our thinking. The righteous person is not like the wicked person in verse 1. Uh, notice the direction the text is going. It's as if he's saying, you know, blessed is the man who uh, walks uh, not in, well, what does it say? Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. It's like he's walking along, he's like, oh, well, there's a sinner here. Oh, oh. Oh, I I like this. And he's hearing from these people, and they're shaping the way he thinks. It slows down. And the worst of these is the scoffer. This is also not a word we use very much in English, but it's more than just disagreeing or calling someone out for something that's wrong. Those are actually really good things to do. Scoffing is essentially an attitude that says, eh, that's dumb, that's stupid, and I'm not going to listen to you, by the way. That's scoffing. Uh, it's an immediate dismissal without giving the idea proper attention and the person proper dignity. That's how I would define scoffing. And just think about our world for a second. It is full of scoffing. We just don't give people the time of day. We don't give their ideas the time of day. We have lost the ability to say, I disagree with you, but I'm going to respect you as a person. (laughs) Like, uh, that's just not something that's in our minds, and I think that's because our sin nature just comes out, it just lashes out at people. But the problem with scoffing 
Everybody scoffs. This is all a sin. I think we all need to repent of at times. But someone who is a scoffer, who that is their way of life, they're unteachable. They turn up their nose at anything they disagree with. And this person is farthest from repentance. Uh, I got that, um, that insight from Derek Kidner's commentary. And I mean, that's the whole testimony of Proverbs. Like, they just don't listen to anybody, and they don't listen to God. They scoff at God's law. And we know that's the case because that's what's being compared here. But uh, what this text is not saying is we don't hang out with sinners. Jesus hang, hung out with sinners all the time, and he's God, right? And he was perfectly holy. Um, the emphasis of this text is what is shaping your minds and your heart? Just think about that for a sec. What is shaping you as a person in your minds and your heart? Is it being shaped by wickedness and wicked people, or is it being shaped by God's law? What we believe, what we think about and dwell on and delight in, this shapes and molds who we are becoming at our very core being. There is a huge difference between the righteous and the righteous and the unrighteous, and that's what they delight in. They become what they delight in. The scoffer, the the person who sits in the seat of scoffers becomes the scoffer. However, if you delight in God's law, you become like God. The key here is like, you don't become some God and, you know, get your own planet to rule someday. Uh, Rather, in Christ, the Holy Spirit uses God's words to shape you to become more holy, become more like God. So, what is God's law? Well, God's law is just God's word. Law means different things in different parts of the Bible, but here it just means God's word. It doesn't just mean the Ten Commandments, though those are super important. And we should delight in both God's commandments and his story, anything that's in the Bible. And there's so many genres, too. We've got poetry, story, rules, apocalyptic literature, prophecy, and more and more and more. God's word is vast and diverse, and it communicates exactly what it intends to do without error. It's the very breath of God, so we can trust it. But it's not just like, do this, don't do this, because the law also tells us of God's grace, and it's very wonderful. His grace in Christ. And do you know why this psalm was placed right at the beginning? It's almost as if he's saying, okay, I'm going to tell you, delight in the law, and here's 150 psalms that you get to delight in God. You actually get to sing them. You get to sing them with God's people. That is really awesome. You will see as you follow along. But second, what does it mean to delight in God's law? We are not very good at delighting in things. I mentioned dopamine hits, right? That's, uh, that's, that's one way we think about this. Another, I think another way we think about this is if I don't have God's word running through my mind, I have all these verses memorized all the time, 24-7, even when I'm sleeping, I'm dreaming about God's word, then I've failed and I'm miserable and God hates me. Now, this may seem extreme, but my thoughts go there, right? That is the, our natural tendency is to overreact. Uh, and it's also not about having an empty mind, right? That's Eastern meditation. That's not what meditation, biblical meditation means here. Um, biblical meditation is an ancient Eastern book, and so uh, not a modern Eastern book. And so meditation just means thinking about God's word. So we got to remember this is poetry, so it's not a direct do this all the time in this way perfectly every time, but rather it's saying God's word is with us all the time. You have an ethical dilemma at work that's really puzzling you. 
take it to God through His Word. Are you feeling happy? God is the source of your joy, and we know that through His Word. Is there an injustice in the world that you care about or that you are being affected by? God has words for that, and He will vindicate His righteousness and bring about justice in the world. Do you need wisdom for a job? God's Word has wisdom. Do you have a free moment? You don't have to fill it with endless things to do. You can sit and rest in God's Word. And I want to address kids and teenagers and college students right now. I mean, that's like a broad range of people. But now is the perfect time for you to start building a habit of loving God's Word. Now, because your life's only going to get busier. Um, The problem with loving God's Word is never about busyness, but um, now's the perfect time. If you have a chance, now is the time. Actually, you do have a chance. Um, It is a command of God, and so He makes it so we're able to do it. But I also want to talk about parents of kids and also married folks without kids and single folks without kids. It's our job as a congregation to instruct the kids in God's Word. And um, I think Josh models this very well with his own instruction of his own children. And, uh, and I have benefited greatly from my own parents instructing me. And so we have a lot of good models in this church. And that's the kind of parent I want to become someday as Jude grows up as well. Um, now, you might be thinking, there's a conundrum, there's a conundrum. We'll get there, we'll get there. Uh, but I, I want to say this before we move on to the second comparison. The only way we can enjoy God in all of life is if we know Him through His Word. We are called to be shaped and molded by God's Word. Um, this verse in uh, verse... Uh, one of these verses, <laughs> it, it echoes Joshua 1.8. Uh, we'll see which verse it is when it comes up, up here. Yeah, here we go. You shall meditate, it's this verse, this book, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do all that is written. For then you will make your way prosperous, and you will have good success. This is an intentional echo of this verse, because what God's saying here is, I'm going to bless you in the land, so you can worship me. That's the command. And that is why we love God's law. Okay, doing okay on time. Okay, so I, want, I mentioned a conundrum earlier and you might be feeling it, you might be experiencing it, hold on to that feeling, hold on to that thought, because we're going to get there, I promise. Um, So comparison one, the wicked man delights in wickedness, but the righteous man delights in God's law. Comparison two, the righteous person is like a tree, the unrighteous is like chaff. Have you ever met a really old Christian, like very ancient old Christian, who has been obeying God's word for who knows how long and delighting in it, and they just smell like God. They stink. They reek of it. It's like, oh my gosh, this person loves the Lord. I think about one of my professors who's teaching through Deuteronomy, and he gets to Deuteronomy 6, and he's telling us about uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength, and teach this to your children. And he was talking about how God's word never fails. You can just smell it on him, how much he loves the Lord. He or she, despite their feeble old age, is a tree. Verse 3, where it talks about the tree that does not wither, is trying to evoke a sense in us of goodness and fruitfulness. This is a, a person who, who 
is unshakable. No matter what the season is, they're going to they're gonna show godliness in every part of their life. They're healthy. This tree is uncorrupted by blight or death, and this person is standing strong and bearing fruit. There's no drought or premature death. However, the wicked are not like this. They are like chaff. Now, I think there's a few farmers in this room, but not a lot, so I got to explain what chaff is. Um, my dad explained this to me growing up. Uh, he, he would say, before there were tractors, what would happen is you'd get the grain out, you'd pick it off the stalks, and you'd throw it in this big pile. That's what pitchforks are for. They're not for angry mobs, but they're for grain. And so you would get the pitchfork and put it in and throw it in the air on a windy day, and the chaff was the outer shell that would blow away in the wind while the grain fell. See the comparison here? The righteous person is like a tree and the fruit comes off of them. The wicked person, they don't even get, they're not even the fruiting part of the plant. They're the outside part nobody wants. It's like the outside of a peanut, um, even though I eat that sometimes. But um, I shouldn't have said that. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, so they're not even the fruit, fruiting part of the plant. Their lives are fleeting. Um, so what the, psalm, the psalmist is trying to do is create an image in our mind. This is not like uh, the fruit doesn't one-to-one correspond with the fruit of the Spirit or anything like that. Um, but I do want to ask you, what affections does this image stir up in your mind? I think in whatever culture we live in, we get the farming analogy, right? Um, I think for righteous people, this is a deep, deep comfort to know that you're a tree. The lives of the wicked, they often seem long and prosperous as they trample underfoot the poor and the vulnerable and exalt themselves in pride over others. They blaspheme God, they steal, lie, and cheat, which, you know, the righteous person knows is wrong because of God's law, and they also get away with it. Or at least it feels like that. But in God's balances, the lives of these men and women are incredibly short and fleeting. This is a reason to praise God because of his righteousness. Even the prosperous wicked will be judged, but their lives are like chaff in light of eternity. This is a hard truth to hear. Um, I don't think we like thinking of people's lives being short, but our lives are short on this earth as well. But we can rejoice because for Christians, for saints of God, we are trees. We are never going to die or wither. Paul says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We get eternal life. God is making us into trees. So if you are here today and you are weary, if you've been struggling through life and feel weak for whatever reason, you're sick, you're lonely, you're tired, you're dealing with all sorts of doubts, you're hurting or battling some sin that few people know about, if it feels like everyone in your life is leaving Christ right and left and you don't know what to do, fear not. Do not fear. The Lord is making you into a tree. You will stand tall and bear fruit in season. Your leaves will never wither or never fade. Indeed, the Lord is that very fountain of living water who feeds your roots. And he's nearer to you than you could ever know. Ever. 
closer than we'll ever understand. And even in eternity, we'll understand that more and more every day. That's so wonderful. So, do not fear, do not fret. But there's the conundrum that I mentioned. I, I haven't said it. We'll get there. Don't worry. It's there. We'll get to it. But for now, we're going to go into the third comparison. First one is about what we delight in. The second one is about our, our uh, life. Is it like chaff or is it like a tree? And the third one is about worship. Worship. Okay. So, uh, knowing in this section, right? He says, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. This is not about just some collection of knowledge. Of course, God knows everything about us. He knows the hairs on our head, but it's more than that. It's about relationship. This word is sometimes used to describe an intimate relation between a husband and a wife or between friends. Jesus said this in John 10. I I think this is the same sense of the word. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, right? Jesus knows you. There's a personal relationship. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Do you sense the relationship of Christ and the Father and his relationship with us? That is so incredibly intimate and close. That is the joy of Christians. We get to be known by God and know him back. That is a wonderful and a glorious reality. And this is the reality at the beginning of the Psalms. Right at the beginning, it's a promise of blessing. Blessing for us. Sinners don't get that. This is a scary thought. They're out of the congregation unable to participate in worship of God. And they did this by their own choosing, right? Rather than stand with God's people and worship and walk on God's way, the sinner decided to stand in the way of other sinners and walked with the wicked and sat in the seat of scoffers. God doesn't know that way. God is holy. He is righteous. They missed it. And ultimately, they die. We know from the New Testament and... um, God's whole law that we delight in, that uh, this death lasts forever. It's horrible, a terrible thing not to know the Lord. And I don't think anybody can ever fully grasp it, just the horribleness of this in this life, because God's common grace touches everything. We experience His His joy and His love through creation in, in just so many glorious ways. But this brings us to our conundrum. We, by nature, are sinners, and even scoffers. That's us, right? Uh, We can't help ourselves. We just sin and sin and sin, and it feels like we never stop. That's the conundrum of this passage. I don't know about you, but there are days when I certainly don't feel like a fruitful tree. It is a hard life, and uh, we all offend God and our neighbor through our sins, and uh, God's Word has been described as a mirror throughout church history, and if you are sitting here and you look into that mirror and it looks like you are covered with filth, thinking of all the ways you've broken God's law, you're not alone. Every single person either is feeling that or has felt that in this room. No one person delights in God's Word as they should never scoffs, never sins, and obeys everything he says, delights in the story of redemption, 
That's just not our sin. That's just not our nature. We have a sin nature that we've inherited from Adam, and um, and the righteous person here is the ideal person. The ideal man or woman never, ever, ever sins, ever scoffs, ever scoffs at God's law or His people, loves people perfectly. That's just that's an impossible standard to live up to. Only God is perfect, and we aren't God. We're not even close. But Jesus is God. Jesus is the Word of God incarnate. He fulfills the law. And I say is, right? He died and He rose and He's seated in the heavens right now waiting for us, right? He is right now God, unchanging, ever-loving, perfectly holy. He fulfilled the law and the prophets. The whole of God's Word He fulfills. He bears our sin and shame on His shoulders in order that we can do those good works, so that we can be a tree, so that we can love properly. He is the solution to our conundrum. That's the conundrum of life, friends. We're sinners, and God saves sinners through His Son. So, I want to end with an encouragement to meditate on God's Word, but with Christ in mind. Because, remember, the C on scale is the most important one, because if we miss Christ, we miss the whole thing. I'd, I would rather miss a lot of other things about the text, but get Christ every time. Um, he is the Word of God. And so, um, I, we must see Him in every text, and we must run to Him in response to God's Word. Um, but I think the way we are told to delight in God's Word in our culture is not helpful. Um, our tendency, on the one hand, is legalism. We have this idea that we need a perfect Bible reading plan, and to do it every day without fail and understand everything the first time, or God doesn't love us and we're beyond saving and, and all these places our minds go. But it, it may seem extreme, but our minds go there um, And when we're honest with, with ourselves. But, by the way, there's no commandment to read your Bible every day. The commandment is to delight in God's Word day and night. That doesn't mean you have to have an open Bible in front of you every time, um, but it does mean you need to think and study and dwell on God's Word. That's what you got to do. It is our call as Christians, and we can do it because Christ, the Word of God, has been our substitute and has given us new hearts. The Holy Spirit has given us new hearts because of Christ's work. I think the other tendency is laziness. Legalism on one hand, laziness on the other. In other words, "Ah, it doesn't matter. I'll get to it eventually, and then we never get to it. That was me throughout all of high school. I was like, oh, I I should do this, I think. Um, And then I'd start Matthew and get like eight chapters deep, and then forget, and then I come back a month later, I should do this. So I've read the first eight chapters of Matthew a lot. Um, But notice how legalism and laziness operated in my thought process at the same time there. It's like, oh, I need to do, I need to do this. And then I just fizzled out, right? All of us have laziness and legalism operating at the same time. We're we're very complicated creatures. Um, But we don't study God's Word to feel good about ourselves. We study God's Word to enjoy deep delight. Deep, deep, deep delight. Deeper than we could ever know. Um, Our loves are disoriented, and they need reorienting from God. That's the L in scale. Um, Delight, or love, is the solution to our our Bible problems. Why we don't love our word? Because of the work of Christ, our hearts are filled with the capacity, God's capacity to love, and to actually do this thing. So, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you Big five, these aren't the only big five, but 
They are five reasons we don't love God's law, and I want to show you how the gospel helps us fix this. So, um, the first is sin. I think sin is the biggest, biggest stumbling block for anything in our lives. Uh, I think reading God's Word is so convicting. <laughs> You're just like praying through the Psalms. It's like, oh, I did that. I did that. Um, I don't think we want to meditate in God's law because we don't want to be convicted. That's so uncomfortable. Uh, or maybe sin is the thing keeping you from God's law. Maybe it's the sin of sloth or laziness. Um, but the solution is not to beat ourselves up or to try harder, but it's repentance, right? Which just means turning from our sin towards the Lord. Christ gives us the power to repent, and so we can repent, and, and uh, He'll bring us back to Him. And then, you know, we try with the effort and fail and make mistakes, and that's okay. That's okay. I think a second one is shame. We often don't read our Bibles because we don't feel worthy. I just don't feel worthy because we compare our quiet times to others, or we think, doesn't matter how much I do this, God's not going to love me, so it doesn't matter. But God doesn't love you because you read your Bible enough. God loves you because He chose you, and He cares for you, and He is love. So, I encourage you to take your shame to the foot of the cross. Give it to Christ. And you may still feel it, but God's Word trains our emotions and our affections. Remember, so while your shame may not go away immediately, this is necessary for healing. God's Word is necessary too. Third is knowledge. You may be saying to yourself, well, that sounds nice, but I don't even know where to start. The Bible is so big. There's so much there. Different culture, thousands of years ago. I don't even know what to do. Okay. That is totally understandable. And it is also encouraging that no one person understands the Bible completely perfectly. Only the Lord does. So that should be a weight off her shoulders. But I just encourage you, start in the New Testament. Start somewhere. You're not going to get it all. Talk to other people in this congregation. There's a, a humbling that comes with hearing people who are more wise and knowledge, knowledgeable in the Scriptures. I get to sit with Josh every week and do discipleship with him for, for my job. And it's just so humbling. Um, and... Uh, yeah, you'll get there. You'll know more. And we have all of eternity to study God. So that is so encouraging. Uh, fourth is habits. Um, I think our habits shape, shape us more than we know. I talked about the dopamine hits before. You know, maybe the reason you don't uh, delight in God's Word is because you are training your mind and your heart to delight in too small of things. Um, Maybe you need to sacrifice something else, or, or maybe take some time away from social media or something else. I, I personally have had to delete Instagram, Facebook. I've had to delete TikTok, which is just, just so sucks you in. Um, but we're formed by these things. And I, I say this because I know we all have social media. Me, me too. I, I still have YouTube. So uh, we're trained. That doesn't mean these are bad, but we need to train ourselves to love God's Word as well. But the Bible doesn't come in small dopamine hits. It comes in deep, lifelong satisfaction. And it can't be, can't be manipulated or measured or anything like that. But just as Christmas dinner with family is more satisfying than a single Cheeto by yourself, so God's Word is compared to any, any other thing you're forming yourself with. It doesn't have to be social media. It could just be your routine. It could be something. So I encourage you, uh, right in Christ, we're 
freed up to love him. And so one of the things we can do in our freedom is, you know, adjust our schedule a little bit to, to have just like 10 minutes. But think about it. If you do 10 minutes a day for a whole year, you spent days and days in God's Word. Um, it pays off. And that doesn't even count the times you spend thinking about it throughout the day. Uh, finally, I want to say, I think we just get the wrong idea about what time in God's Word means. Uh, we've seen too many pictures of someone sitting down with their Bible here, their journal here, cup of coffee, probably cost $10, and they're at the coffee shop, and it's just like, this is the best time. All the circumstances are right, but I, I feel when I get all the circumstances right, still my mind is distracted. Um, so uh, I, I want to recommend an article by Amy Payne. It's called, Help! I Can't Find Time as a Mom to Read My Bible. Now, I'm not a mom, but uh, that, this was a very helpful article. It just destigmatizes a lot of the things. You know, listen to your Bible on an audiobook, um, on the way to work, just when you get a quiet moment between caring for kids or, you know, 10-minute break at work. There's a lot of different things we can do. We don't have to have this perfect time set up all the time. Just do what works for you. Maybe that sounds too postmodern for you and you can think of something else to do, but uh, that's what I'm going to say. Um, and, and do it together. Have some accountability. Have some friends. Um, but I do want to end with this. All, all these things, in the grand scheme of eternity, if we don't get Christ, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If you are not a Christian watching online or... Um, I, th I think I know everybody here, but... Uh, just in case I'm missing someone, you're hearing this, God's Word calls us to repent of our sins and turn to Him. This is a quote from Charles Spurgeon. He said, the seat of the scorner may be very lofty, but it is very near to the gate of hell. Let us flee from it, for it shall soon be empty, and destruction shall swallow up the man who sits therein. Friends, flee from your sin and your scoffing and turn to Christ. And I, I think as a Christian, we all need to repent of these things. God's Word is convicting, and, but, but we're being made into a tree, and we get to stand in the congregation of the righteous forever. That's our hope. And so, when God's Word, which is a mirror, convicts us of sin, right? That's the reason why we read God's Word. We can turn back to Him and know that He's near. He knows us. He knows our way. And someday we will be free of sin, just like our brother Jesus. That's why we seek Him. God loves you. He cares for you. He cares for you more than you know. So if you're sitting here and you just don't feel that, that's okay. God's making you into a tree. Um, that's the end of the sermon, but I do want to say about the Psalms two things. One, Psalms were meant to be said and sung and read together, and so we're going to end our time here in the Word with a corporate reading of Psalm 1, and uh, I think we're going to do this every week. But if the psalm's really long, we'll just pick some verses. And um, so that's what we're going to do here in a moment. But I also want to say um, we're going to do this to model how the, trin the Trinity, the triune God, speaks his word to us. God the Father speaks. Christ is the word. And the Holy Spirit activates the word on our hearts. So you think we have our call to worship. And then we read the psalm at the beginning of the sermon and at the end of the sermon. And then we respond in repentance later. So that's the model. That's why we're doing this, uh, to think more about God, to know God deeper. Um, so if you have more questions about that, I'd love to, to answer those. But would everybody stand as we respond to God's Word with His Word? So we're all going to read Psalm 1 together. Um, 
And yeah, it's like six verses, so uh, it's pretty awesome. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Please stay standing as we pray, and then we're going to head into worship. Heavenly Father, um, it is a great, great comfort that you know the way of the righteous, and you make us righteous by your Son. Would we never, ever forget that? And would you remind us of the gospel on our hearts through your word, through each other, by the Holy Spirit. Lord, would you make us into trees that bear fruit in their season, whose leaves never wither, and um, we never die, but you nourish us with your living water, which is yourself, of course. Um, We love you. We love you so much. Um, And would you increase our love for you day after day after day. In Jesus' name, amen.